Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your presence today. You are the king of our hearts. We come before your presence. Come into your presence. With thanksgiving and with our hands held high. And we bring everything, all our stuff,
mercy. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty and merciful Lord, grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen.
Pray together the Colette. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be seated. Children, if you will come forward. Ha! You made it. Maybe it was a tie. Ha, 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 ha. Excellent. Glad to see all of you. If you'll reach out your hands with me and let us pray for these young people as they go off to Sunday school. 
Heavenly Father, we are blessed, Lord God, by the presence of such young, wonderful young people. We pray, Lord God, that you would watch over each and every one of them, keep them safe, fill their hearts with wisdom, knowledge, and courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, that way. Okay. Our first reading this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Let us read responsibly by the half verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. 
Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Who can understand his errors? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Second reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The word of the Lord. on our hearts as we hear his holy gospel the holy gospel of our lord jesus christ according to saint john 
Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are reading from John's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said that, when he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said, the gospel of the Lord. come before you this morning, we ask that you would do as we just sang, create in us clean hearts, restore to us the joy of our salvation. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today we're wrapping up a series that we've been working on, on faith, unity, and joy. Things that we felt like God had spoken to us as we make this transition this year, as we see um, Bishop Kessler retiring, Father Powell becoming the rector here, a new bishop, uh, Father Chris Moran uh, in Henderson, Nevada. There's a lot going on. 
But it seems like God has something for us in particular at St. Michael's, wrapped up in those concepts of faith, unity, and joy. He wants to make us a people who can fulfill the mission that he has given us in what Father Jim's calling the next chapter, Father Lewis Powell, right? And so we're doing this thing where we're on this road to the places where God wants us to go. And it's exciting as we talk through and we've been teaching on these subjects, I guarantee you that I've had more opportunities to not be faithful, to not have unity, and to give up on joy in the past few months than in the three months, six months, year before that. Uh, And it's been quite remarkable how many times God has brought up my own sermons to me as a moment of discipline. So um, as we dive into this, the enemies of our joy uh, I just had, the, I was listening to this song last night that I showed Haley. I love this song. I really do. Um, and it's from the Prince of Egypt, which I mean, everything in the Prince of Egypt is amazing. Uh, but at the end of this great story where God delivers his people from oppression and slavery by the most powerful empire in the world at the time, they have this song that plays in the credits. After the first credit song, there's another credit song, and uh, it's by Boys to Men, and it's called I Will Get There. And it's this beautiful song, amazingly arranged. It's got this, like, gospel, old-timey sound to it with all the modern pop boy band things going on. I love it. I really do. But I was listening to it this morning because I had showed it to Haley, and it just popped up on the, on the car on my way to go write my sermon notes. And usually I like to listen to worship music, something to get in the – I was like, oh, this is worshipful, right? So I'm listening to this song. There's not a mention of God in the whole thing. The entire song is, I will get there. I'll never stop trying. My, I'm limitless. I will do this. I will find a way to cross the river. At the end of the Prince of Egypt, where literally the entire story is, they couldn't get there. Only through God coming down and splitting the Red Sea because they crossed that river. And it's such a tragedy Uh, In our world, when we do that, where we change what is the message of God's salvation to the message of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to do it, just push and try harder. And I thought that was an appropriate way to start the sermon because we're talking about joy, which every one of us wants, and yet we struggle so hard to obtain. And if you listen to this whole sermon and at the end of it you go, man, I just need to try harder. I need to be stronger. I need to do better. You miss the point. It's not you that acquires joy. It's God that gives you joy. And so we're going to talk about how God helps us obtain joy, the promised joy that we are supposed to live by. In fact, I'm going to do something a little funny here. I'm going to step over into a realm where I don't belong. I got permission, don't worry. But I want to talk before I start uh, this, and I will bring some joy in the room. I'm not going to sing to you. Don't worry. Joy just went up a couple notches. I just want to show you what I mean when I'm talking about joy. Because sometimes we can get lost in our idea of what joy is as like happiness, And that's not what we're talking about at all. But I'm going to use music to just demonstrate this. Bear with me. If I play this chord, that sounds pretty happy, pretty joyful. I could also play this chord. And it actually has some complexity, but it's still happy. It's still joyful. But then I could play this chord here. 
very sad, right? Okay, very basic. I'm not a music genius. I'm just showing you a couple things. But it's still harmonically aligned. It's still pleasing. It's still communicating something. But if I played this, every one of you would ask me to stop. That is not right. And so what I'm talking about when I talk about joy, it's not this all the time. It could be this. But it's in alignment with how you are supposed to feel. And by supposed to feel, it's in alignment with God and how he responds. There's this phrase that was very popular for a time that I want to bring back a little bit. What would Jesus do, right? What joy is, is responding the way that Jesus would respond in a situation. Being in alignment with your heavenly father. And so what I was showing you with those chords is like when a chord is properly built, it can be complex. It can be interesting. It can even incorporate dissonance and sadness. But it's still in alignment. It's still musical. And in the same way, your soul might experience dissonance, distress. It might even experience sadness. But when you align yourself with God and his purposes, it doesn't sound like that crazy thing I played at the end. What happens when we lose our joy is that we're out of alignment with where God has us. And so when I'm talking about these things, I'm not talking about just the major chords, the happy-go-lucky, yay, woohoo. I'm talking about throughout your entire life, you can actually live oriented towards Jesus and his purposes in your life. And you can respond the way he did. We have a great verse, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible shows us that even through the person who was living proof of God's joy, he could experience that sorrow because he was responding as God responds to death. God hates death. It's the last enemy that we will all defeat through his grace and power. And so all of that is just a little framework for what I mean when I'm talking about joy. So what are the things that get us out of alignment? What are those notes that are dissonant, that don't belong? What are those things that cause us to lose our joy? Well, I'm going to start by talking about what I call the what-ifs and the if-onlys. The what-ifs are the, but what if this happens? The what-ifs is anxiety, Right? It's that, that voice inside of your head that says, but something bad could happen. What if this awful thing occur, occurs? And the other one is the if-onlys, and that's the, the tone of depression and despair and hopelessness. If only this had happened. If only I had that thing that I needed. If only my brother hadn't died. Think about the story of Lazarus again. If only, Jesus, you had been here, you could have saved my brother That's a moment of despair that can rob us of our joy. And it doesn't have to be something that big. We can be saying if only is about the promotion that you missed. Like we are very sensitive people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think God made us that way because we're supposed to respond to the world the way that God does. But the problem is we get out of alignment. We let the what ifs and the if onlys overwhelm God's purposes in our life. So let's talk now about anxiety. And I wrote a couple of adjectives, anxiety, like that choking, that overwhelming, that paralyzing feeling of general unease. 
Now, we tend to hear about anxiety quite a lot these days because all of the reports say that anxiety, loneliness, depression, they're on the rise. I'm here today to say, not among us. By the power of God, not among us. We're going to be a people who live counteracting anxiety with the joy of the Lord. And so what is anxiety? Let's understand it a little bit. Anxiety is actually a good system. Just like I was talking about with the chords where you can have sad chords or complex chords that aren't just purely happy, but they're actually doing something. They're working together to make a beautiful sound regardless. And what anxiety is for is to tell you that you're not paying enough attention to something. I I described it like this and got this from a podcast. So, you know, what do we do? That's how we learn nowadays. But the idea is the difference between fear and anxiety. Fear says that there's a tiger in the room and you need to run. Like you can see the tiger, get the heck away from the tiger. Anxiety says that something's going to get you. You don't know what, you don't know where, but something is out to get you. And you can feel that when you're feeling anxious because when somebody says, what are you worried about? You have a thousand things to tell them. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And every time you talk through one thing, you find another hiding behind it. And what anxiety is supposed to do, it's supposed to remind you to look at your situation with greater clarity, to slow down and assess. Did you forget to pay that bill? I get a little anxiety. Oh, I check. Oh, I did. You pay the bill that anxiety goes away. That's healthy anxiety, right? It's a red flag that says you forgot something, you didn't look closely enough, or maybe you're feeling anxious about your relationship with your wife. Well, maybe you need to spend some time with her. Maybe you need to slow down and have some conversations. Maybe there's something you're picking up on that she's, she thinks she's shouting that something's wrong, and you're just like, oh, something seems weird. And, you know, it's like there's things that anxiety helps us with. It helps us understand one another, right? And it could be in your mind, it could be spiritual discernment, it could be a lot of things. The problem is anxiety becomes our God. We start pledging our faith, not to God, but to the idea that the universe is full of misery. That if something's good, you better watch out because the other boot's going to drop. We start orienting ourselves around the signals that anxiety sends. And that is what people wrestle with. That's the paralyzing sensation. It's kind of like a general sense of unease. And that will, that, that over time, that builds to, like I say, like a paralyzing level. So in the Psalms, I'm going to read you just so you know, this is not a modern day phenomenon. So we're going to go back to Psalm 55 and we're going to read verse four through eight. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Some of you thought, wow, that's dramatic. And I am here to tell you, some of you have been that dramatic, okay? Like, I get it. When you're Feeling that anxiety, it can feel like everything is going to fall apart. And the reason I bring this up is to connect. You are not alone in that. We've all been there. And then you explain it and it, 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 let's talk about my buddy Jack. Remember Jack and Jocelyn from a little while ago? I'm going to pick on them again. 
If you've ever argued with somebody in the midst of their anxiety, or if you've ever tried to argue with yourself in the midst of your anxiety, it might go something like this. Hey, what are you worried about? Jack goes, well, my boss hasn't replied to my email. What if he's mad at me? What if he's going to fire me? What if I lose my house? You see this kind of trickle-down situation that anxiety does? And then you say, well, that's not necessarily true. Maybe he just didn't see it. And Jack goes, yeah, well, I think my hairline's receding. I might go bald. Jocelyn's going to fall out of love with me. I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. What if? And you go, well, that's not going to happen. Like, what if you look better bald? You know, it's like you start having these conversations, and those are just a couple silly examples, but that's what anxiety does, right? It doesn't matter if you answer the one objection. It's the 17 different ways that your life could go terribly wrong. Or if you're really, like, good at it, it's the thousand different ways your life could go terribly wrong, right? And what happens is we actually agree with that spirit of anxiety. We start telling it, oh, that's a good point. That could happen. They probably don't like me. I probably will die alone. I probably will push everybody I love away from me. And you start reinforcing this and you give your faith, your belief to that spirit of fear and anxiety, right? And so what I'm saying is we've got to turn that on its head. The what ifs can work for you. That's called dreaming. In the kingdom, we call that dreaming with God. You can think of all the ways things can go well in your life, all the things that God's planting. What if I get a big raise today because I wanted to put that out there while Eric's in the building? You know what I'm saying? No. What if, what if my aunt who's sick just miraculously gets healed? What if my, mom, my, my wife who is running late coming home didn't get in a big car accident but actually stopped to buy me a gift? Like we have all of these reasons why our anxieties sound more plausible to us than all of the promises of God. But what I'm saying is we've got to use that system, that anticipatory system, to know what God wants to do in our life instead. We could even, and I've suggested this a few times, ask God what he thinks about the situation. We can bring him to our anxieties and he'll help us. And you know what? If you bring God into your anxieties and you still can't figure it out, here's the answer. The psalmist, the same one talking about how terrors of death are surrounding him, says this in Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. If you can't figure it out, even with God's help, well, give it to him. It's your problem now, God. Exactly. It always was. It's always God's problem. And what I mean by that is God came in the form of his son, Jesus, and he took the entire burden of the world, every anxiety, every fear, every sin, and he bore it on the cross. And then by the power of God, he rose again that we could die in our baptism and be raised to newness of life with him. You're not supposed to live anxious. You're supposed to live full. Full of what, you might ask? The Holy Spirit and joy. Every one of us. So cast your burden on the Lord. Elsewhere it says, give God your anxieties for he cares for you. He cares. You think nobody else in the world cares? 
Well, I know at least one person who does. In Proverbs, David's son, Solomon, and David wrote that, uh, Psalm 55. So his son puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I love that verse. It says, right, do not lean on your own understanding. Why does it say that? Your own understanding is the what ifs and the if onlys. That's where your own understanding leads you. You, without God, an anxious mess. Your life will fall apart. What this does, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding, is it adds God back into the equation. And you, plus God, is eternal life, joy, freedom, salvation. Everything you're afraid of, if you add God to that equation, changes the math. It's like it breaks the system. We know all the ways that our life can fall apart. We're really good at diagnosing that, making multi-point outlines. This is what's going to go wrong. I'm saying you started with the wrong premise. Add God and start over. What can God do in this situation? Rather than what is this situation going to do to me? That is how we fight anxiety. You trust the Lord with all your heart. He is better than we know. Amen? Okay, let's move on to depression, despair, hopelessness. I don't know if you've experienced this at some point, but it's like this the, the weight on your chest where it feels like not just everything is going to fall apart, but everything has fallen apart. That there isn't any goodness anymore, or there's just not enough People say they, when they're struggling with this, and I know I felt this way as well, it's hard to just get out of bed, you know? It's like everything just feels so heavy. Well, let's talk about that, right? Depression tells, says to us, everything is awful. In fact, I will sing at you. It's like we turn the Lego song upside down and we say, everything is awful. Everything sucks and there is no hope. That's the anthem of depression that I came up with this morning for some reason. That is the, the, the it's, it, it's like a song because it gets stuck in your head. And everything you encounter, you go back to this anthem that you sing. No, everything is awful. Everything's the worst. There is no hope. And you, that is the blanket of depression that robs us of joy. So let's talk about what to do when you're feeling that. If you're here today and you're like, wow, I've been going through that myself. Well, here's four things you can do. And it's going to be one by one is just like you got to do this. And then the other three is like a system. So we'll get to those. They're separated a little bit. But the first one is connect with someone who loves you. Because the biggest lie of depression is that you're alone. In fact, we even see that in Psalm 22 where the psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The idea of being forsaken is central to the idea of depression. It's that you're alone, that there is no help, that nobody is hearing you. But where else do we know that verse from? We know it from the cross. As Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment... He joined with everyone who has ever felt alone and forsaken by God. He actually encountered them. 
in the cross. You know how we talk about Jesus been crucified since the foundation of the world. It's not just a historic event. It is the cosmic reality that changed everything. And so if you're there, if you're at that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is with you right there in that moment. He's not separate. You are not alone. Nobody, right, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that nobody will ever believe that God has forsaken them ever again. How amazing is that? He joins with us in that moment. So connect with someone who loves you could mean God. Absolutely, it should. But I also want you to look around. And if you feel like nobody loves you, well, let me just tell you, I love you. These leaders, their wives, they love you. You are surrounded in this room by people who love you. Reach out, connect. Isolation is the drug that makes depression kill you. It hyperdrives that spirit of despair, and it makes it so that hopelessness and uh, it just ends the conversation. Don't isolate yourself. Connect with people. Don't be alone. Okay, three more steps that came out of Psalm 22. In fact, what's so great about that psalm is he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't hear me. It's like the, the pit, right? You imagine Jesus on the cross, the despair. But the very next thing he says gives you the response to that feeling of depression. In Psalm 22, it says, Verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. It reminds me, in fact, of this song we were just singing, where we said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. There's that, I feel alone, I feel forsaken. Cast me not from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And this verse that we've brought up many times, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You and your depression need your joy, the joy of God's salvation restored unto you. So I'm going to tell you how. There's three steps. I'm sure it's more complicated than that. You actually have to do them, which is hard. But here's three ways that you can save Uh, Let me say this. You can enter into the joy of God's salvation for you. First, the secret to the joy of God's salvation is that God has saved you. God is saving you and God will save you. And that gives us our three steps. So we're going to start with this one. First, remind yourself of the ways God has saved you before. If depression tells you that everything is awful and there is no hope, then look at all the ways that God has given you hope. He has resurrected. He has changed. He has saved. He has done miracles to set you free. Remember the ways that God has saved you. And if you can't remember the ways God saved you, we've got a whole book of ways that God has saved other people called the Bible. Go back and read the stories or talk to somebody, right? You're connecting to somebody. Ask them, where has God shown up in your life? And I know that this is like unbelievably difficult when you're in that moment of depression, right? That's why I want to tie this, even as I give you these simple steps to do, to what I said at first, which is it's not about your strength, but his. You look towards him. He's already reaching towards you with your salvation. 
This is a path you can follow to look for him reaching towards you. You can remind yourselves of the ways that he has saved you in the past. I will say, you need to start writing down when God does things in your life. Because we have terrible memories. I know I do. And if you're not, like throughout all the Old Testament, we see, and the heroes of faith, what did they do? When God saved them, they made an altar. And then when things got hard, they went to that altar to remember, oh yeah, remember when he saved me here? Well, I'm going to worship him on the spot of his salvation. I'm going to look for him to restore the joy of his salvation to me at this spot. So write it down. Put it somewhere that you can reference in those moments. Secondly, I said God has saved us. God is saving us. Look for the ways God's moving in your life right now. He is. Ask him to open your eyes to see the way that he's moving right now. Nothing good is coincidence. Because we're told all good things come from God. So look for ways to thank him for the ways that he provides for you every day. In fact, even in the midst of your pain, he may be using that pain because what the enemy meant for evil, he turns for good. He may be using that pain to draw you near to him in that moment. That'll save you from depression, encountering God, the God of joy and love. God's present salvation is about transforming us into the people he's called us to be. He is taking you from glory to glory. You're not there yet. He will bring you there. Third, we have faith that the salvation of God is coming. Hopelessness has to die when you have faith that God is coming. Our hope is in the coming of our Lord. So when we look at this, you've got to ask yourself, is it, if it's not good, it's not the end. That's it. If it's not good right now, it's not over. God makes all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. If it's not good, it's not over. Don't give up hope. Look for him to save you. Now, maybe you can't believe it. Maybe you've followed all these steps and you just are struggling to believe it. Well, I'll challenge you then. Act like you do. Act like you believe that God has saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you, and watch the power of God transform your life. If you just get up and live like God is present, it's going to change you. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because I talked about faith. You know, some of us think faith is this feeling. Like, I did it because I was feeling like God was going to show up. No, sometimes you just do it, and that's the faith. What would you do if you believed that God loved you, that he was working all things for your good, that you were called according to his purposes, that he was saving you right now and he would save you? That's how you live. That's how you live like Jesus lived. And even Jesus wrestled with this. Because remember the garden. Is there another way besides being crucified and betrayed by everyone I love? Nevertheless, not your will. Sorry, not my will, but your will be done. Right? What did Jesus do? He acted out his faith. He didn't feel it when he was sweating blood in the garden. <laughs> like, what, we get so twisted with our feelings. No, it's not just about how you feel. It's about acting like you believe God. 
which means you love people even when they're unlovable. It means you step out even when you feel afraid. It means that you do the things that God has called you to do, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. I think that's enough for this morning. We're going to end with this verse that has been kind of central to our conversation about joy in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified for us, suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, with contrite hearts, let us place our needs in the needs of the world before our God. That the church will have the zeal of Christ as it proclaims the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, that governments and legislators will enact laws with wisdom and integrity. Lord, in your mercy, that a godly and just rage will inspire Christ-like Christ-like action where injustice prevails. Lord, in your mercy, that nations will protect the rights of Christians everywhere to worship God freely. Lord, in your mercy, that men and women who acknowledge Christ will give witness to him in their workplace through their words and deeds. Lord, in your mercy, that those who are praying for the salvation of loved ones will cling to the promises of Christ, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, in your mercy, that we who are gathered around this table will desire Christ and his word more than wealth or possessions. Lord, in your mercy, that God's people will remain faithful to the gospel until the end. Lord, in your mercy.
God of mercy, your word brings wisdom and hope to all people. Hear our prayer and give us the grace to keep your commandments. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace, Lord, be always with you. And with with your spirit. Turn and greet one another with the peace of the Lord. Peace, Peace, Lord. Your spirit, good word. Catechism today. Where's Betty? Dance today. I think today. (laughs) All right. Um, Confession every Saturday during Lent between 10 and noon. Is fire night this week or next week? This week. This week. This Wednesday. This Wednesday, fire night. All right. You don't want to miss it. What else do we got going on, Jesse? You know, we've got a convocation coming up. We've got a ladies' retreat coming up. There's, I'll do the convocation first. Uh, sign up. The rumor is that they're running out of slots because people are just mad dashing for the convocation. <laughs> I actually have talked to the people. Don't be afraid. If you want to come, you can come. But I will say that it's a really great event that we are preparing for with a lot of faith that God's going to meet us there. In addition, uh, the ladies' retreat, like I said. Let me before we go on from oh. that. I just want to encourage everybody: if you at all have the ability to be in Florida, these convocations are great moments in the history of our church, and that is a place you want to be uh, as the church gathers together. If you can be there in Florida this summer, that's where you want to be. Amen. Register now, get your rooms now. It's the rooms that can run out. I think so. Speaking of places you want to be, if you are a woman, uh, please come to the women's retreat. Uh, sign up. I've heard great things. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord. In the chaos, you are the peace. In my suffering, you're here with me. In the darkness, you never leave. God of mercy, you're walking with me. I surrender anxiety. All the striving has to cease. In this moment, you're still the king. This is a gift you are giving to me. A sound mind for the spirit of fear. A sound mind so that I can see clearly. A sound mind, your spirit is here. 
and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks lord holy father almighty and eternal god through christ our lord for you will that our self-denial should give you thanks humble our sinful pride contribute to the feeding the poor and so help us imitate you in your kindness and so we glorify you with countless angels as with one voice of praise we acclaim.
fountain of all holiness make holy therefore these gifts we pray by sending down your spirit upon them so that they may become for us the body and blood of our lord jesus christ before he was given up to death the daily he freely accepted he took bread he gave you thanks he broke it he gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this for the remembrance of me When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise, gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Humbly, we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Doug, Tammy, Patrick, Luke, Bob, Jermaine, Sandy, Jeff, Kate, Dave, Roseanne, Michael, Michael, Mike, (laughs) Sarah, the Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, in your, have mercy on us all. Lord, you have made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, and with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior, Jesus Christ, hath taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. 
Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. The gifts of God for the people of God.
Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. Hmm. And may the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. You turn it for 